Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John 15, beginning in verse 18, and I'll be reading into chapter 16, down to verse 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask of me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, we have been discussing then the gospel according to John, since March. And I put the, the primary slide back up there again, just as a reminder to us. 
because we're really in that transitional moment right now where Jesus has been discussing with them the fact that um, he is the Son of God who came into the world to become the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And we're really, though we've talked about that part of it a lot, and we're getting ready to talk about that even more, right now we're in the middle of that, that other part. And that is the secondary, I think, um, motive of John in writing this, and that is the unity of the church. That, that, they are, that we become unified in the fact of who Christ is. And again, just as a reminder to you that when John was writing this, already there were false teachers. It's just, that's mind-boggling to me. I mean, even if you take the, the long look, and John died somewhere in the 90 A.D. to 100 A.D., okay? If Jesus died around 30 A.D., 29 to 33, we can debate that, okay? So we'll just round numbers here. That means within 70 years, within 70 years, already rampant in the church are false teachers. Gnosticism was, was gaining ground. What, this whole concept that you could have this special knowledge and, and become gods yourself and all this kind of things and the dualism that they had. And, and, it was, and it was taking root into the church. And you think, no way. But false teaching was coming in. Even though you still had one of the original apostles on the earth. I'm mindful of the Tower of Babel when it was built. I'm sure you all know this, but a lot of people don't. That Noah, Japheth, Ham, and Shem were all still on the earth when the Tower of Babel was being built. It's mind-boggling to me. You got the guys who came off the boat still with you. And you're rejecting the testimony. While the 12 who walked with Jesus, some died earlier, I get it, but were on the earth, already false teachers were at work. And it reminds me that, look, does it make, does it, should it cause me any wonder that false teachers are throughout the church today. Satan is a deceiver. Second Corinthians chapter 11 is very clear. Paul says, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I'm fearful that someone may come in with another Jesus, another gospel, or another spirit. And you may very well receive it. To be deceived just as Eve was deceived. Satan takes truth. And he mixes in just a little bit of error. And so as we talked about yesterday at the men's breakfast, right? How much deception, how much wrong does it make, take to make truth not truth? Just a piece. Just a piece. I mean, again, the illustration I used, um, jo- Justin was teaching, but that I, I loved watching Joel uh, Lanares, who was my, my translator down in Peru. I couldn't understand half of what he said. Okay, I couldn't understand 90% of what he said. And um, as... But I, I told them on Wednesday, you know, when I was down there, they didn't give me anybody to train and become. So you're now becoming my, my national. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you get to do all the witnessing. You've been witnessing anyway. I have no idea whether you, you're telling the people what I've told you anyway. So, so at this point, I know you're a believer, and this is kind of good, so you get to witness. And so he'd take his water bottle, 
and he kind of offered to them, and they said, Nick shake their head, yes, yeah, you know, like, and he's asking them, would you, would, you know, it's a nice hot day, I got cold water, would you drink it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then he reaches down, and he says, and, and, and he's taken from the, the, the dirt, and to, like to throw it in, and then goes to give it to them, and they're like, oh, no, no, no. And the idea is, he's taking a little bit of, you know, <clears throat> excrement, throwing it in there, and, you know, would you drink it now, type thing. And how much dirt, filth, would you want in your water? You know, there's a reason why people get water filters, right? Because they have somebody come in and do a test and show them how much badness is in the water, so they want to get a filter. We ought to want truth. Truth ought to be that which unites us. The core of all truth, and so it's kind of cold how this plays together, right, is Christ himself is God. God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the church has to be built upon the foundation. In fact, we're told that in 1 Timothy, right, that, that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And if, and if we're not based, if we're not unified in truth, then the unity is false anyway. Okay? So John is teaching this, and, and so just as a reminder to us that all this is going on in John's day. And so when Jesus is getting ready to tell them about persecution. Persecution is going to be happening in their day. You know, when we start facing persecution, we realize, look, it hasn't changed. 2,000 years later, the same thing's there, right? So, um, Jesus um, gives promises to his disciples. He wants to give them encouragement as he's getting ready to go, right? And so we've considered these over the last month or so these promises that he's given them, the promise that he is going away to make a Monet for them in his father's house, a permanent dwelling place. Promise as well, though, that when he left, he would then as well send um, the, the Holy Spirit to them. He would give them the opportunity that because he was going to go to the father's presence, he would also intercede for them. That's the promise of his power, where the answered prayer and do greater things, right? But then the, the promise of his presence as well, not just the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us, but that's kind of exciting. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today, okay? But do you remember he also said that he and the Father would also come and do, set up what? Their Monet, their dwelling place. So just as he was making a dwelling place, a Monet for us in heaven, they're going to come and they're going to set up their Monet in us. That's pretty cool for me. And then he gives us a promise of his, of his peace, Okay, and again, he said, not as the what? The world gives, give I unto you. And so there's a setup coming into persecution, right? Because you're going to have persecution. But in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of these trials, in the midst of these sufferings, you should be able to have what? Well, not just joy, peace, using his term. But again, we're going to go to the joy, right? Um, At the end of it, in fact, that's next week, when we get to the end of chapter 16. You know, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer and that really doesn't mean joy that's actually courage there for i have overcome the world but in that whole concept whole topic there he's talking about joy as well okay and so he also then built based upon those promises he now comes with his exhortation to them and again taking the blending of the monets right he then takes the verb form of that and he tells them to abide then if since he's making a monet for them in heaven and the the godhead is going to come and bring their monet in, in, within them, that they're going to dwell in us, what should be our natural response? Well, my natural response should be that I should want to then dwell in him. Just as the branch wants to dwell in the vine in order that it might be productive, in order that it might be 
fruitful. And he says then, if, if there's a branch that really isn't attached to the vine, then it really isn't really a what? It's really not a branch. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, um, a twig that's going to be taken out to be, to be burned. Okay? But those who are attached to the vine, who are being fruitful, what's going to happen to them? The father is the husbandman, and so what's the father going to do? He's going to prune. He's going to prune that, 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 um, that branch. That sounds awful. That sounds like a hard thing, harsh. But the whole idea of the pruning is that the, the branch might become what? Even more fruitful. Okay? And that's where we have to trust that the father being the husbandman understands, again, how it needs to happen, when it needs to happen in order for that to be more fruitful. Okay? But I have a part in that. My part, part in that is right slap dab in the middle. I need to be willing to what? Abide in Christ. How that mystery of the working of God in my participation comes together, I don't know. I just know that God is the one who's doing the work in me, but I'm responsible to submit to that will as well and participate in it. Okay? Last week, then, we transitioned into this next section that Jesus is talking about, and we had such a great um, testimony time that we're only halfway through, which is exciting to me. Okay? Um, I'd rather see the life of the body then feel like i got to stand up here and, and teach, okay? I mean, there's part of me that makes comes really nervous. I mean, just to be honest with you. But the other side is I would much rather see God at work within the assembly. Does it make sense? And scrunch the teaching time. So, but as we saw, we saw the persecution that has come. Jesus is going to warn them now, okay? He's giving them the, the promises. He's giving them the exhortations. Now he's kind of giving them a warning, if you would, okay? But more of an exhortation that this persecution is going to come, okay? And he tells them right off the bat, why they're going to be persecuted because they're guilty by association okay they hated me they they hated me the world has hated me therefore if you follow me you should expect what not to be hated so here's the deal i didn't mention it last week i felt pressure time okay i still feel a little pressure today but here's the deal i know a way that you don't have to worry about any of these trials tribulations pressure cooker situations just don't believe in jesus don't associate with jesus don't identify with jesus then the world's not going to what hate you that's what jesus said right i mean they're going to love their own so if you want the world to love you what become like the world now here's the deal though in the end you're going to (laughs) die everybody does isn't that something i mean there's Two things that are sure in life, death and taxes. Anyways, and so there's probably other things that are sure in life. But anyways, but that's the, 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 the quip and quote, right? But the, isn't it interesting how everybody knows it? Then they're going to quote the very first thing. The minute you came into the world, you came to die. You came to die. I mean, I joked with my sons this week as they came over to help me a little bit with the sun porch. There's a part when I had to go sit down on the steps. I understand I'm still getting over the COVID stuff and, you know, the fatigue and that kind of stuff. But I sat down and I was like, guys, I'm feeling like an old man right now. <laughs> this is not a good feeling. This is not, I've never, ever, ever felt like an old man before. But at this very moment, I'm feeling like an old man. <laughs> I know, it's sad, isn't it? But there's a reality, and that is what? It does happen. And I am becoming 
an old man. I got prematurely gray when I was 18 years old. Anyways, not really. <laughs> not true. I'm only 25 right now. I shouldn't be. Anyways, <laughs> we laugh. You know? But we think that way. You know, In my mind, I'm still that 18-year-old. I'm still that 25-year-old. My body just doesn't agree. Okay? And so I know that even if I don't die in a car wreck, even if I don't die from a massive heart attack right now, the reality is there's going to come a day when what? I'm going to die. This tent isn't at this moment designed to live or, or to function, if you would. I, I like to think of it like a machine, like it's a, a tent that's been automated. Okay? It's not going to be automated forever. But I live inside the tent. I am never going to die. Even though my tent is going to... It's going to peter out. Some part, my heart's finally going to say, okay, we pumped enough blood. We're done. You know? I, at that moment, to be absent from the body, will be what? Present with the Lord. How cool is that? And all that means is that Jesus fulfilled his promise. Because he went out to, to make me a what? A Monet. And he's been working on my Monet. Steeler banners everywhere and... Anyways, I'm just joking. Anyways, but he's working on my mind. There's not going to be any of those NFL stuff. Just so, if you, if, there ain't going to be any Oklahoma stuff, Bobby. I mean, just get rid of it. Don't even think about it anymore. It's all going to be Jesus stuff. I mean, isn't it going to be cool? Okay? And, and when I get there, it's going to be beyond my comprehension. So the worst thing that the world can do to me, because they think killing you is going to be the worst thing they can do to you, right? The worst thing that they think they can do to you is what? The best thing. Isn't that something to think about? Doesn't it flip the whole mindset of the world? I remember when I drove truck. How are you doing? I'm doing great. If it was any better, I'd be dead. You should have seen people look at me like I had a depression moment. No, no, it's not that bad. No, no, you didn't listen to me. Listen to me again. Ask me your question. How are you? I'm doing great. If I was any better, I'd be dead. No, man, no. No, no, you don't understand. You don't know Jesus. Clearly, you don't know Jesus. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a believer. No, clearly you ain't. Because if you really understood who Jesus was and what's waiting for you on the other side, you realize there's nothing on this world that could ever surpass it. I'm doing great. Listen to my words. I'm doing great. But the only way I could get any better is if I was dead. Because eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. There is nothing in this world could get any better. This is it. The reason for our persecution, association with Christ. You have a choice to make. Associate with Christ, identify with Christ, or don't identify with Christ. But remember what Jesus said. If you deny me before men, then I will what? Deny you before my Father and the angels that are in heaven. Yeah. If, if you, if you um, my mind's blanking out, C word, Romans 10 as well, confess me. If you confess me before men, I will also confess you before my Father as well. That's what Romans 10 is all about. Where you believe in the heart and you confess with your mouth. That's not a sinner's prayer. That's living it out. Whatever you really believe in your heart, it's going to be what he talk about. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So you're either identifying with Jesus in the things you say and the things you do, or you're identifying with the world. If there's never a period where there's an uncomfortableness because of how you're living or because of what you're saying, you might be wanting to ask yourself how much you're identifying or how much you're camouflaging. Anyways, the condemnation of the world. Well, why did they they do that ignorance of the world first? Is because they didn't know God. And so, therefore, since they didn't know the Father, they didn't know Jesus, who the Father sent, right? But the second thing is really interesting. Now, I didn't have a lot of time to talk about it, and I don't really have time today, but the condemnation of the world as well, okay? Jesus said, if I had not come, say again? No, go for it. They have no sin. Isn't that kind of interesting? Okay? I don't have a lot of time to talk about that. But it should make you ponder. What does he mean by that? Come to Sunday school, First Peter, when we finally get to chapter 3, we might talk about that a little bit more. Okay? When Jesus went and talked to the, and preached to the dead in order for them to, to hear the gospel. Okay? It's kind of a, an amazing thing to think about. Okay? How does all that play out? All I know is when Jesus talks about the rich men and Lazarus, he talks about the fact that there's a, there's a place of torment and a place in the bosom of Abraham. Right? And there's a chasm that's dividing them. Okay? Can I bring all this together? I don't know how I can bring all of this together. Okay? But all I know is that prior to Jesus coming, the knowledge of Christ was shadowed. Do you understand? But once God came in the flesh, okay, and we're going to talk about that again today. Once God came in the flesh, that's Jesus, Yahweh, that I am that I am, coming in the flesh, living amongst men, they were without excuse. Do you get it? The world is without excuse. Now, I want to go back on that just a little bit, though, because Romans chapter 1 says that what may be known of the Godhead is also revealed where? In creation. So that man is without excuse. Okay? So how that plays, I don't know. Psalm 18, 19, I always mess this up. I think it's Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day utters his speech. Right? Okay? So the first four or five verses talks about how creation is the revelation of God. But then he goes on and says that the word of God is pure, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is. And then he goes on through talking about the word of God and how the, the word of God is the revelation of God. Okay? So God speaks to mankind twofold, okay, primarily, through creation and then through his word. When Jesus came, caught in the flesh, what was he called? The Word. The Word of God. Isn't that kind of cool stuff? Okay? So, there's a, there's, a, there's a place that all this goes on. So, but yet Jesus said, at this moment, if I hadn't come, they'd be without sin. So, there's a place where condemnation or justification, again, we've talked this before, when we drew the, the line in the sand, remember? Drawing the line. It comes to that same point. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? So he came, lived his life before them, gave them unequivocal, it's probably the wrong word, undeniable evidence, and now they were going to be the guilty for denying, or they're going to be saved for accepting, right? So their condemnation, and so then the hatred was baseless. Um, can we do, um, hey Chuck, can we pass the uh, microphone? Okay. Um, we're good. Is it up? Is it on? Good. Okay. Um, 
I want to get somebody to read Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Who's going to read that? Not all at one time. Um, there's going to be three of them. Justin, okay? Um, can I ask you, Justin, though, to read out New King James? Is that possible? Okay. You got it? Okay. Um, somebody take 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 5. Who, who, Brian, okay? And then somebody take Matthew 5, 1 to 16. Okay, uh, Gerard. So while they're going there, okay, um, you all know Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable act of worship, and be not conformed to the world, but rather be what? Transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we have this challenge, this exhortation from Paul, not to look like the world. The word conformed there is the word skiskimatsi. Anyways, that it's changing your outward appearance. But rather, you're supposed to be transformed, okay? And that's a meta, uh, metamorphosis of your mind, changing the inward part of it, okay? So I'm not supposed to try to change to look like the world, which most people are. You know, you want to wear the styles of the world and all that kind of stuff. But rather, I need to be focusing on changing the way I think that I might be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, right? That in of itself is going to set me apart from the world, which is what we're going to see. So Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blind being past feeling. Truth is in your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, and then First Peter, and then we'll comment. First Peter four one to five. First Peter four one to five. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of uh, dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Brian, keep that for a second. I'm going to ask you a quick question. What did it say that the world's going to do to, to those who are living differently? Uh, um, let's see. That. They're going to think it's what? Strange. strange. Uh, strange. Speaking, speaking evil of you. They're going to speak strange, evil of you. Yeah. 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 So they're, they're going to think it's strange that you're not doing what they're doing, and they're going to start speaking bad about you. Okay? First level of persecution, right? They're going, to, they're going to start talking bad about you. Okay? And so that's what Ephesians 4 is all about, that we need to change. We're not supposed to walk in the futility of the minds of the Gentiles anymore. You used to do it. Yes? Some of you, I mean, as kids, you don't, you, you know, it's kind of rough, you know, and then, and you go say, well, I want to experience some of the things mom and dad never let me do because I think maybe I might enjoy it. But if you're saved as an adult, right, you know what? I wish 
that I never put a lot of that trash into my brain. If I had it all do it all over again, you know, but probably wouldn't. But the, the, the point, though, is that there's this massive change, right? And now the world looks at you, and I mentioned a little bit of that last week, people that we've known, who, who disassociated and, and disdained us because of all of a sudden our disassociation from them. Not that I purposely didn't want to be around them, but I didn't want to be around the sinfulness. I wasn't a part of that anymore. And because I wasn't a part of that anymore, I didn't want to go to the concerts anymore. I mean, what was a concert for me? It wasn't just about listening to music. It was the whole thing that went with it. That, you know, anyway, and, and everything. I didn't want to be a part of that, that, that scene anymore. You know? And so people don't understand that. What do you mean? Okay? So, but that's because Matthew 5, who had that? David? No, Gerard. Gerard. Matthew 5, 1 to 16. Okay? And seeing the multitudes, he went up to a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evils against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how, can, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do, they, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Remember that lampstand. We'll get to that in just a little bit as well, potentially, hopefully. Um, but the whole the reason I want to read this is this is the, the Beatitudes, right? Beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about a, a, a mindset that is totally flipped to that of the world. Where you're rejoicing in, in being other-focused. You're rejoicing in persecutions. You're rejoicing in being reviled for the name of Christ. Right? The world doesn't get it. But if you live with the mindset of Christ, it's going to make you different than the world. And so I just want to challenge you to think about that as we come through there. Do you have a different mindset, a different lifestyle than the world? Do you think differently? Do you act differently? Now, it may be an ongoing change. I mean, clearly in my life, I know God's still working in me. He's still cleansing me. You know, he gets the Brillo pad out sometimes. So, well, you know, now we're going to really go for the deep cleaning, scrub cleaning here. Okay? And... So I get that, okay? But as I look back, I'm 60. I was saved when I was 23. I look back 37 years and I say, and I can honestly feel like I said, you wouldn't know me. Am I a different person 
um, whoever you are, Rodney, sorry, I'm definitely, <laughs> the age happening again, Rodney, am I a different guy than you, you first met, a little bit, oh, that's awful, okay, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, way different, I mean, way different, I mean, I remember my backyard getting drunk, with all the alcohol that got dumped out, <laughs> then you if the bugs were could come out and could walk, you know what they would because all the whiskey and everything else that was being dumped out, and um, you just I just I think about who the guy was before Jesus and who he is now. It's just mind-boggling to me. Now, am I pride of myself? Not at all. I know it's what God did in my life. Does it make sense? But I'm different. I'm different. Does the world know it? Secondly, then he talked about the extent of our persecution, okay? Um, that's supposed to be of, not for. Um, the warning of Christ and then the warped thinking of the world. God warned them, right? At the beginning of chapter 16, he said, the time's going to come when even the religious establishment is going to what? Persecute you. And when they do it, warped thinking, they're going to be thinking that they're doing it on behalf of God. And so, again, the warning for us, as we watch the mainline denominations, and I'm not picking on anyone in particular, but as we watch mainline denominations in our country turn away from the, the Word of God, and it's been for quite a while now, it's no wonder they make the decisions that they make. And it's no wonder that they join forces with people in the secular realm that cause our head to spin. And it's no wonder then that it's becoming that you are the problem. Our intolerance, thinking that Jesus is the cure and is the only way to heaven, is the problem. Again, I'm not a prophet, son of a prophet, and I'm not going to declare stuff, okay? But I just want you to think about, in um, Nazi Germany, I see such a parallelism with with that, and how um, powers who want to take over play things out. They cause division within, and, and they pick on a certain, what, group. Who did the, who did Nazi pick on? Jews, okay? Um, how it's going to play out, I don't know, but I know that in the end days, who's going to be the group? Christians, followers of Christ, okay? And as I read the book of Revelation, read the book, read the book of Revelation, stuff like that, I realized even into the seal judgments, the fifth seal, when the fifth seal is opened up, you're looking underneath the altar, and there are those who have um, been beheaded and those who have been killed for the name of Christ and for their testimony, okay? It's not going to change. It's not going away. It's going to continue to get more, but it's warped thinking. For many in, in the world, they think they're doing it the right thing, Okay, just remember that when it happened, Jesus looked down and when he was being persecuted and everything, and he said, Father, what? Why? They don't know what they're doing. They got warped thinking. They, they think they're doing right. They thought they were serving God by, ta by taking Jesus out because Jesus was blaspheming in the name and all this kind of stuff. And so they thought they were doing the right thing. Again, we could debate their mindset. All I can do is tell you what Jesus said. They don't know what they're doing. Paul said, I think it was Paul, or, or maybe it was Peter, if they had known, no, it was Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, if they had known, then they wouldn't have done it. So, 
Jesus then gives them more encouragement, though, that in the midst of this, the parakletos is going to come, okay? And so the paraclete, um, you've probably heard the Holy Spirit referred to as a, the paraclete. Again, parakletos, uh, parakleto, is the word that we saw in 2 Corinthians um, a year and a half ago when we were studying 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That was used there a lot. Um, it's sometimes it's comfort, sometimes as encouragement, sometimes exhortation. Literally, it means to call alongside. Kaleo is to call. Para is alongside. So parakaleo is to call alongside. And so the holy comforter, the, the holy encourager, the holy exhorter, okay? The idea of the word is I'm here and I turn and I say, hey, come on up with me. You can do it. Let's go. That's who he is. That's who the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when he comes, I'm going to send you this parakletos. I'm going to send you this encourager, this exhorter, this comforter who's going to come and he's going to help you out. So first of all, his coming. When was he going to come? When did Jesus say in this passage that Chuck read for us, chapter 16, when was he going to come? Say again. When Jesus went to the Father. Yeah, so antecedents. I can't say when he because I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, right? So when Jesus went to the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit, which means logical, right? Go ahead, Phyllis. Well, he had to go to the Father, and, but then the Holy Spirit what? Couldn't come till Jesus left, which means the Holy Spirit what? Wasn't there yet. Thank you. Wasn't there yet, okay? In other words, if I got to go so I can send the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's what? Not residing yet. He's coming. We know that we saw, like, when he come on Saul, or that we saw in the Old Testament that he comes on Samson. So we know that the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, does work, and we see it. But the, the actual um, um, indwelling of the Holy Spirit wasn't part of the Old Testament saints. But here in John 20... The reason I have that up there is where I believe, actually, the Holy Spirit does come. I don't think it's Acts chapter 2. I think that's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit that happens in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. But this is after Jesus is, is, um, dies and he's resurrected and he's up in the upper room. And we'll get there a little bit later. But he says, he breathes on them. And he says to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, we'll talk about that then. But I believe it means... He's giving them the Holy Spirit at that moment. In, in the breath, and again, I'm stealing my thunder for when I get there, but just, I love this passage, I love this verse. He's the creator God, man. This is, this is him with Adam, breathing into him the breath of life. But now he's giving him what? Real life. New life. The Holy Spirit's now sealing them to the day of redemption. Can they ever lose it? No! Why? Because the Holy Spirit's there. And he's going to be guarding them with this inheritance, which is undefiled, incorruptible. And uh, anyways, it's pumped. I'm just, this stuff is exciting to me. I mean, I'm invincible. Do you get it? <laughs> Talking about superheroes. I mean, I, I got a shield about me. It's called God. The only thing that can touch me is what? What God allows. Do, do you get it? This is cool stuff. Anyways. So anyways, so he's coming. But he can't come until Jesus leaves. That's a conundrum for the disciples, isn't it? Uh, but I don't want you to leave. But I want that thing you're talking about. Okay. So the second part of this then is his conviction of the world. That when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to first of all, we're told, 
have this conviction of the world, okay? So the meaning of the word conviction um, is literally to reprove and rebuke. You can go back and look at John 8, verse 46, where Jesus says, listen, does any of you convict me, reprove me, rebuke me of sin? Okay? It literally means to reprove and rebuke. Now, what's exciting about this to me is going through it and looking at this word, okay, is Hebrews chapter 12, okay? And so Hebrews chapter 12 is the passage where it says, Yahweh chastens those he what? Loves. He rebukes, we're told then as well, those that he loves, okay? Revelation 3 verse 19 is in one of the, the, my mind's blanking which church it is, but he's writing to the churches. I think it's Laodicea. Anyways, and he rebukes them. And he quotes it again. The Lord rebukes those he loves. He rebukes the ones that he loves. So you say, okay, well, how does that play out? John 3.16. Who does God love? He loves the world. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Who does God desire to be saved? All men. This is kind of exciting to me. Because we take this passage then about the Holy Spirit when he comes, he's going to convict the world. And honestly, when you think of that, don't you think of it as just pure judgment? It's not what he's talking about. God loves the world. He wants to see everyone in the world what? Get saved. He wants to see them repent. Even in Revelation, he's pouring things out. He wants to see these people repent. But they will not what? Repent. They won't change the way they think. They still blaspheme his name. They're still cursing him. They're still going against him. But you know what? God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He is continually... First Peter chapter 3 again, right? When the, see the long-suffering of the Lord and the, the, the days of Noah. And we'll get there in a moment. But it's over and over and over again talking about the long-suffering of God that he wants to see everybody get saved. So the Lord then rebukes the world because he rebukes those who he loves. And so what does he rebuke them of? The first thing he rebukes them of is what? Sin. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because you'll never get saved unless you know that you're what? A sinner. Oh, I don't want to tell somebody they're a sinner. Well, you've got to tell them they're a sinner. They've got to be saved from something. So God says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of, of sin. So why? Because they did not believe that Jesus came from the Father. Then he's going to convict them of righteousness. Because their righteousness is totally wrong, right? They are getting ready to judge Jesus. He's getting ready to die, right? But their righteousness is built upon the wrong what? Foundation. And so he's going to rebuke them, reprove them of their righteousness. You're looking to your own righteousness. You have your own establishment of righteousness. Is this kind of sounding familiar to you sometimes? You know, God has convicted me, rebuked me of sin. Because it's built upon what? I'm trusting in my own righteousness. And what's the last part then? Judgment. And he reproves them because judgment is coming. They along with Satan. Do you get it? In the end, it's Satan. It's the the prince of this world who's going to be judged. But you chose to follow him rather than follow God. That's ultimately what judgment's going to happen. God loves you. He wants you saved. He wants you to come to him. But you said, no, I'll go with this other guy. But his end is not so good. He's going to be thrown into that lake of fire where he's going to be tormented forever, for all of eternity, in the presence of the Lamb. 
That's rough stuff. But every man has a choice. And again, the line in the sand is Jesus. You choose to follow Jesus or you choose to follow yourself. To follow yourself is to follow Satan. Because you want to be your own God. So am I going to submit to the true God or am I going to go after myself? The Lord then rebukes through his believers. He rebukes the world through his believers. And again, you can look these passages up, okay? They're follow-alongs. But the reality is, and it goes along with what we said earlier, okay, that as we change, as God changes us, our lives become reproofs to the world. Ephesians 5 talks about the light, how the light reproves the darkness, exposes the darkness. Matthew chapter 5, I am like a city that is set upon a hill whose what? Light cannot be hid. You don't take a lampstand and stick it under the bed. Where do you stick it? On the lampstand. You don't take it. Did I say lampstand? You don't take a lamp and put it under a bed. You put a lamp and you put it on the lampstand. You put it on the table. Why? So that it can give light to everybody in the room. Right? What does it do? It exposes the, the dust bunnies that are everywhere. Okay? I was doing pretty good sitting here in the dark, feeling okay about myself until you decide to turn the light on. And then I look like, whoa, man, what did I put on? I got a brown shoe and a black shoe. I should have done that just for illustrations. Anyways, did that once at the, at the Bonaire many, many, many years ago. I looked down, and I had a black wingtip on and a maroon wingtip on. <laughs> well, at least they were both wingtips. And that's when I'm thinking to myself, nobody ever looks at your feet. So, anyways... But I did at that moment. I thought, man, I should have had the light on when I put shoes on. Anyways, but the Lord uses us to rebuke the world. Why? Because he loves the world. Remember that. Remember when that happens. It's because God actually loves your neighbor, the one that you can't stand. God loves him. And he wants you to be that tool to draw him to himself. Finally, then, his care of the saints. This is exciting. When he comes, he's going to testify of me. He's going to testify of Christ. To who? To us. He's going to give us assurances that Jesus is exactly who he is. is it, does it ever ring through your brain? Maybe it's just my logical, scientific mind or whatever, that, and, and, and Satan loves to, to nail me with. What if this is all a lie? What if I'm totally deluded? What, 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 what if I'm, I mean, what, what, what if I, I, I went down the wrong track? What if the Mormons are right? What if the Jehovah Witnesses are right? What if Islam is right? What if Buddhism and Eastern mysticism is the right way? I mean, there's a whole lot of ways out there, aren't there? There's a whole lot of paths. And Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there are that go there. And narrow is the path that leads to life, and few there be that what? Find it. Am I on the wrong narrow path? I mean, were those people on that narrow path? They got the right path? I don't know if that ever enters your brain, but... I think of that sometimes. I mean, whether Satan just really nails me, you know, just... And I just got to continue to come back to God's word, to truth. And, and, and I come back, and you know where, really, for Bob, it starts? It's Romans 1 again, in a sense. I come back to just this. And I just look at my finger doing this. And it leads me to a creator God. Do you get it? And from the creator God, it leads me to what my creator God has done. And then it just flows through it because Jesus is that creator God. And I, so he'll testify of me. It's the Holy Spirit in me that's bringing me back to truth at all times. He will guide us then into all truth. And again, the embodiment of the truth 
is, is Jesus himself. Okay? And so that's why it's so important. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth. And the truth will what? It'll set you free, make you free, cause you to be free. Oh, we're not man's slaves. Yeah, you are. You're a slave to Satan. If you're not reading Jesus' words, and there's too again, hobby horse, soapbox, I'm sorry. It just frustrates me how many people say they're believers and they don't read the word of God. You can't be free. How can you, how can you follow someone if you don't listen to them? In the end, then, how committed to Christ are you? When you, if you just analyze your own life, wouldn't it be neat sometimes if you had a, uh, those meters like on your head and they, they showed different things about you? No, it really wouldn't be cool. It'd be cool if it was on everybody else's head but yours, okay? I mean, think about it. Isn't that true, you know? And you know, oh, yeah, look at you. I'm glad I don't have one of those on my head. Anyways, commitment meter at this point. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, I'm sold out for Jesus. Then why does it say 2%? <laughs> And then we're not talking about milk at this point. And so, you know, how committed to Christ are you? Are you willing to suffer? That's really when it plays out, isn't it? That's where the rubber meets the road. Are you willing to suffer? So someone comes, just words, just words again. Okay? They're, they're going to think you're odd. They're going to think you're strange. And they're going to, First Peter chapter 4, and they're going to start calling you names. Yellow-bellied chicken liver, old boy here, okay? What happens so many times? You Say again? Oh, I don't get offended. You might start backing off. You know, I'm not high D. I'm SC. So I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy that likes, you know, I don't want waves. I, I want things nice and steady and calm and everything, right? And so you start calling me names. What do I start doing? Yeah. Back off, be quiet, you know? And then if... When I really get have it, then what do I do? Then I really lose my testimony. Okay? But one of the things I've prayed for over the years is to learn to be steadfast and bold. I've got to be st- not rude, not mean, not spiteful. That's Bob. Bob likes to just, you know. But to be steadfast and bold, I can do that. With gentleness. That's exactly right. Fruit of the Spirit. Just to, to play it out in my life. I want to do that. Has the Holy Spirit been reproving you of sin? If so, how have you responded? Again, the level of reproof has changed over the years. Sadly, there are some things Bob's still working on for the last 20 years. You'd think, you'd think you'd get over that thing by now, you know? And I always wonder, boy, what does God think of every time he's got to come to me and go, um, attitude, attitude. We've been talking about this attitude thing for like a little bit of time, you know. If you, if, if, if literally I was your dad on the earth and you were one of my sons, like on the earth, how, I mean, would we have testosterone moments here, like a lot? You know, would, would you be like in your room? Would you be like, don't have the car, you don't have the keys, you don't have your phone, you don't have your... Being a dad has really helped me sometimes in this, you know, because I'm, I, I personify with the father at this point. It's like, oh, here I am, and I'm, whew, I am so guilty, God. I'm so sorry. Judge not lest what? <laughs> you judge. Anyways, 
you'd think that my kids would be doing anything they want because I don't want to judge them on anything. How bold are you in your witness for Christ? That goes with the, the previous slide. How faithful are you in reading and studying God's word, searching for truth? Again, hobby horse, but I think it's so important. If Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to come to lead us into all truth, and this is the source of truth in, in my hand. I mean, I know God is that, but God has had this written for me to know truth, right? Then if I, if I don't do it, I don't, it just doesn't make any sense. So finally then, is there a need to change the way you think and ultimately then change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you uh, for the gift of salvation, uh, redemption, Lord, how you have purchased me back to you but you didn't stop there, Lord. You gave me these, these extra gifts, these promises of, of what's going to be happening. I just think of the, your presence living in me, um, the Holy Spirit coming and residing in me and to, to leading me in the truth and to encouraging me in the things which you have, have already taught. Lord, help me to be humble, to be submissive, to be desiring, to be malleable in your hand, to want the change that you are wanting to give me. Lord, that I would embrace those things as well, that I would be um, conducive then as well to these things. And Lord, I pray the same for each individual here and, um, and those of our assembly. Lord, that you would cause each of us individually to be continually changed, transformed, conformed to the image of Christ, that, Lord, we would be odd to this world that I'm not wanting them necessarily to hate me, but Lord, I want them to see there's a difference. And if that's a matter of that they despise me because of it, then so be it. But God, that ultimately I know you love the world. You love every individual. You died for them. You took their sins upon yourself. You were the propitiation for the sins of the whole world, not just for mine. And you want to reprove them through me by this life that is supposed to be changed, transformed by your grace. God, help me to be what you want me to be. Help me to be bold by opening up my mouth as well. Sharing your truth, not in bitterness, not in spite, not in judgment, but Lord, following your example of love and how you minister to those who are sinners. Lord, help us to see lives changed for your glory. Forgive me. Lord, for my judgmentalism. Help us as an assembly to become even more and more conformed to your image and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.